no matter where you are, no matter what you believe, no matter what you've done, we're really glad that you're here. Whether that's the first time you've been to RUF or you've been coming every week uh, in your senior, um, and this is very familiar space to you, we want you to feel welcome. RUF stands for Reformed University Fellowship, and we are one of the many campus ministries here on campus and uh, I said this last week if RUF doesn't stick for you you're a freshman you're fo- trying to follow Jesus in college and you're trying them all out I'm encouraging you to to jump around and go to to campus ministries um, especially if RUF doesn't stick there's campus outreach meets tomorrow night U Kirk uh, is another one on campus Rev Ron is always around and so we want to walk alongside you to help you grow in your faith RUF, we're a community of people bound by the reality that God loves us, that God loves us. And out of understanding and getting in our hearts and our bones and our minds that God loves us, we're compelled to love others and to love Wofford. And tonight we're continuing our study on the parables of Jesus, parables of Jesus. In Christ's life and ministry, he would try to make sense for people what it looks like to follow him in a fallen world. And oftentimes he would use parables. Parables were these stories that he would tell. He would look around at his circumstances and he would point to random things. And he would tell stories about those things. And tonight we're going to be looking at the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower. In life, I'm convinced oftentimes we're given advice that we really don't believe. We're given good advice that oftentimes we don't believe. So I know so many couples, married couples, so many friends of mine who've been married, whether it's three months or three years, they have heard and they know that date nights are just probably a good idea. Like they've heard these things, they know it cognitively, but they haven't been on a date in three months. Like this is, we know it intellectually, but somehow it's not translating into our lives. Everyone knows and hears that exercise is important and diet is important and exercise and diet go hand in hand but cookout milkshakes are in our lives still and fried chicken from wades uh, which you certainly should go eat um, but i guess not too much but it's still in our lives and so we know that in order to be a healthy human being, to be good stewards of our body, we need to be careful what we're putting in our bodies and how we're exercising. But yet, it's, the truth is not sticking for us. I'm using those examples. We know these things intellectually, but the, the truth is not sticking for us. And I actually think this is how we relate to God's Word oftentimes. I think we relate to, to God's Word this way because left to ourselves, God's Word doesn't take root in our hearts. Left to ourselves, God's word fails to take root in our hearts. And Jesus tells this story, the parable of the sower, to show us what it looks like for God's word to get into your heart. So the text is in your handout there. This is from Luke 8. I'm going to read it now, but know that this is God's word. And he has spoken. He's not silent. He's not distant. The Bible is not a book of rules that he's given us to follow, and it's not a theology exam for us to ace. He's spoken to us, to me and to you, because he loves us. And when a great crowd was gathering, 
and the people from town after town came to him. He said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, as it, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture, and some fell among the thorns. And the thorns grew up with it and choked it, and some fell into good soil and grew, and it yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. Jesus can explain the parable now. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. And for that in good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Word of God for the people of God, for you and for me, we pray. Lord, your word is living and active, and we trust that that is true because you are living and active. Lord, we come to you and we bow low, and we come to you honestly and humbly, and we admit before we even get into this passage that we simply will not hear you unless you speak. Our hearts are restless, our minds are distracted, and we ask that you would slow us down, that you would change us from the inside out, and that we would be both doers and hearers of the word, and we ask this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. So you have the game plan in front of you in the handout. This is how we're going to manage our time in this text First, failing to hear, and then hear, hearing. Failing to hear, and then hearing. Let's go to the first one, failing to hear. Now, Jesus, he tells this story to show us that it is possible for people to be deaf to the Word of God. To be deaf to God's Word, there are three kinds of hearers in this passage. Three kinds of barriers to God's Word. As we are deaf to it, there are three kinds of of hearers. And we need to slow down just for a second as we get oriented towards this parable. This is one of those parables where we need to slow down to understand, go slow to understand the particular images that Jesus is using. He's telling the story of a sower who went out to sow seeds, and they land on different kinds of soil. We read some some seeds fell on and birds came, devoured it. Then we read that some seeds fell on dry rocks with no moisture, and then thorns end up choking the life out of other seeds. That's what we read. And Jesus, this is kind of a strange story we might be thinking, especially to modern 
sort of technologically advanced people, very removed from an agrarian agricultural society. So what is Jesus trying to say? Jesus is saying that it is possible for us to be deaf to God's word, to hear a lot of God talk, a lot of Bible talk, and it not take root in our hearts. And we see this in three ways, and this is the first one. The first barrier is the evil one. The evil one. Look at verse 11. The seed is the word of God. Verse 12. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the words from their hearts. They might not believe and be saved. Jesus is saying one of the contributing people or factors of God's word not landing in people's hearts is actually the devil. The devil himself. And I want to say this. I do not plan on going into sort of a biblical theology of who Satan is, who the evil one is. But we can at least say this confidently. The evil one, Satan, the devil, wants God's word as far away as possible from your heart. The evil one wants God's word as far away and as distant from your heart as possible. And isn't this what we see in Genesis 3 when he shows up for the first time? We read in Genesis 1 and 2 that God creates the world by speaking, by his word. And he speaks and everything is good. He loves his creation. Then he makes Adam and Eve in his own image, and they're good. They have everything that they need. And then we read that Satan came into the picture, and what did he do? He began to use his words, and he lied. That's why one of the titles that Satan has in the scriptures is the father of lies. It starts here. God told Adam and Eve, God's word said, I've made you in my image. You are like me. And Satan comes along and says, you sure about that, Adam? Are you sure that you are like God? Why don't you take matters into your own hands and only then when you gain control will you be like God? God told Adam and Eve, this world and everything in it is yours. It's good. You have everything that you need to dwell with me, to dwell with one another, and to dwell in my world. Satan comes along with his words. He says, are you sure about that, Adam? Are you sure, Eve, that you have everything that you need? Actually, look around in your circumstances, and you seem to be lacking. Seem to be lacking. So look at this tree over here that he says is off limits, and go take matters into your own hands. My point is this, the evil one does not want you to take God at his word. He does not want you to take God at his word. And I bet this is familiar to you. God says you're forgiven by faith in Jesus. Satan comes with his words and he says he won't forgive those sins. God says you uh, are adopted into God's family, he says you're an orphan. Have you heard these voices? Have you heard these lies? God's word tells us he's faithful and trustworthy. The evil one wants you to believe that God has left you and you can't trust him because he's stingy. He'll only give you things when you kind of earn it and you kind of score keep with him. Have you heard that? The evil one's plan is to keep God's word distant from your heart and from mine. I mean, we can say this, Satan knew 
that God's word was living and active. That's why he doesn't want it near us. So the evil one, the second barrier that we see is difficult circumstances. Difficult circumstances like seasons of suffering. Look at verse 13. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. They have no root, though. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, there they are. Difficult circumstances, they fall away. So Jesus is saying it's possible to hear and receive God's word with enthusiasm. You went to a youth camp growing up. You went to fall conference this weekend to hear God's word, and it began to blow your mind for the first time. Maybe for the first time, God's word began to stick to you. The cross and the empty tomb are no longer like Good Friday and Easter for you. This is like, this is a game changer. And you're fired up about it. And you go to the conference. You're fired up for Jesus and his word. And then you come back to reality. You climb down from the spiritual mountaintop to a fallen world. And rather than living in an Eden-like setting on the mountains, it doesn't take long before you find yourself in a valley. Maybe it's depression setting in once again that's chased you around in your life. Maybe you realize that your parents actually, their marriage is actually going to fall apart. Maybe you've experienced seasons of of relational isolation and loneliness and you're thinking to yourself, will I ever be known by another human being? Because I'm a senior and I still feel like a freshman disoriented in a foreign land where I know no one. Well, I always feel this way. Maybe you've been sinned against and the trauma of it all is still haunting you. Maybe you've gone months or years attending church, lots of Bible, lots of God talk, but God seems so far away and honestly, you're worn out and you're ready to throw the towel in. Because eventually Jesus, following him becomes too hard because we're in the valley and so we throw in the towel, we stop and God's word stops taking root in our hearts. Jesus is saying that this is possible. And one of the realities and challenges, I think, of, uh, that's kind of problematic with this view is it's functionally saying this, God's word is only true when things are going well for me. Do you see that? God's word is only true when things are going well for me. You've actually elevated your circumstances over the authority of Scripture. Do you see this? Your circumstances have the last word. God's word doesn't. I'm glad Jesus didn't do this. I mean, think about it. I'm glad that when circumstances got a little hard and challenging, when Jesus began to get mocked and stripped naked and cussed at and mocked, that he didn't throw in the towel because his circumstances got hard. He trusted like with childlike faith that his father's will was good. And we'll get there in a second. I mean, it makes me think of all these classic stories. We have the Rocky, we have the Rocky movies, like all 75 of them. We, we have Lord of the Rings, which I, I, I'm so reminded of just like the power of the Lord of the Rings story, but Frodo and, and the gang um, are compelled by this vision, this, this vision they have been drawn into. Their, their hearts are captured by this vision of destroying the ring, this good and evil story. But y'all, things, you know this if you've seen the story. 
you've seen the movies, you've read, read the books, that things got really difficult. And really the entire, especially, yeah, there, there's always this conflict where you kind of, are they going to stop? Are they going to quit? Jesus is saying God's word isn't taking root in our hearts when we allow our circumstances to have the final say. We'll throw the towel in when our circumstances are more authoritative than the scriptures. And then third, worldly pleasures. It's another barrier. It's the last barrier in our text. It's why we won't hear. Look at verse 14. Verse 14. And as for, as, and as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. They go on their way. They're choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. Their fruit doesn't mature. It's possible... Guys, for you to hear God's word, and over time, the pleasures of life begin to win. Your hearts were captured by Jesus, and now they're captured by weekends, by hooking up with the most attractive person possible. The pleasures of the good life begin to capture our hearts, and over time, God's word seems useless and, frankly, too complicated, and it's not exciting anymore, and we trade the lifelong, steady life of following Jesus, and we want immediate gratification of pornography, of Instagram likes, and Tinder, and whatever else is immediate that I can immediately get my hands on. I don't want to wait on God's timing. I will take matters into my own hands. And let's be honest, the pleasure comes very quickly with those kinds of things. And oftentimes, the kind of satisfaction that gets in your bones and your heart with Jesus, you kind of have to wait on that. I don't want to wait, so I'm doing it myself. Because worldly pleasures actually win because they start winning our hearts. I mean, think about how ESPN did this 30 for 30 um, called Broke. I think it was like 2006, and it's one of the most popular 30 for 30 podcasts. Are these are Now it's a podcast, but um, it's a documentary series on ESPN. And basically, like what, what the, the documentary is so profound and, um, and as you watch it, is you see that what began as like a childlike love for a sport, it started all the same way. They began to be so compelled by a, with this childlike love for a sport, and their loves begin to get disordered over time. The distractions of celebrity and an addiction to affirmation and praise begin to win their hearts over time, and it literally ruined their life. I mean, this is a whole documentary series. I want to ask you this. What alternate vision of the good life is your heart most drawn to? What alternate vision of the good life is your heart drawn to? Because over time, you could hear lots of Bible, but you look up in six months and your heart has changed. The pleasures of affirmation and sexual, ex- sexual exploration, food, materialism begin to grapple you and they, they pin your hearts down and they eat you alive. This is what happens. And then God's word, over time you're deaf and you can't hear anymore. And we need someone to speak. And we need someone to speak really loud. So let's go to the second point. Hearing. Hearing. What does it look like for God's word to take root in our hearts for us to actually hear? 
According to Jesus here, God's word truly takes root in our heart and involves two things. The first is this, trust. Trust. Look at verse 15. As, far, as for that in the good soil, there are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast and in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. When your heart is captured by God's word, you trust God's word like a child. You are dependent. There's a childlike trust. One author paraphrases our verse 15 this way. But the seed and the good earth, the good soil, they're like good hearts that seize the word and hold on to it no matter what. And I love that. I, I love that because there's this childlike trust of like, I've found it and I will not let it go. I actually think King David modeled this well, and we know this all too well. Last spring, we spent an entire semester in David's messy life. <laughs> David suffered in profound ways. He, he had a crazy life. He was hunted by men trying to kill him. He experienced loneliness and fatigue and shame of his sin. And in the Psalms, he cries out in brutal honesty. In Psalm 13, this is what David says. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Guys, there are 150 psalms. I've said this to many of you guys so many times. There are 150 psalms. That is Israel, God's people in the Old Testament. That's their hymnal. 150 psalms. The biggest category of psalm is the lament psalm. Lament is the old Bible word for complain. David wrote the majority of them. Why? Because he suffered. But guys, I want you to see this. David and his childlike trust in God's word never wavered. Listen to Psalm 19. The same man who said how long over and over and over said this. Psalm 19. This is our call to worship. The precepts of the Lord are right. Actually, Maggie, this was not, you weren't Psalm 19. It almost was your Psalm though. Listen, Psalm 19. This is David. Confidence, childlike trust in God's word. The precepts of the Lord are right. It's God's law, God's word. It rejoices the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure. It enlightens the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings, the honeycomb. Even in his suffering, y'all, David experienced a sweetness with the scriptures. Even in the midst of all kinds of stuff, crazy stuff that he went through. God's word taking root in our hearts involves trust. It also involves bearing fruit. Hearing God's word, God's word taking root in our lives, really hearing involves fruit bearing, bearing fruit. Jesus says in verse 15 that you know God's word is landing in your heart because it bears fruit in your everyday life. The Apostle James refers to this as being both hearers and doers of the Word. This dynamic occurs when you're hearing and reading and studying the Bible shows up in the way that you love and the way that you speak and your actions. The Word of God is taking on flesh in your everyday life. It's when you study the Bible and you study about love. 
And then love shows up in your actions and your words. Your reading about joy in your life reflects a joy in knowing and following Jesus. It's when you fail an exam and you can have joy in Jesus Christ, right? It's studying about peace and patience and kindness and gentleness. And when people look at your life, they see the Spirit of God bearing fruit. Eugene Peterson wrote a book called Eat This Book, and it's a really helpful book. Peterson argues that Christians are called to read the Scriptures like we're eating a meal. Eat this book. He argues for a kind of reading that resists this sort of intellectualizing of the Scriptures where our hearts are disengaged. But we should be readers of the Scriptures who internalize the Word of God in such a way where it shows up in our lives, it shapes our lives. And there's a quote there in your handout from Peterson. I'm going to read it. This is what we're after. Christians feed on Scripture. Holy Scripture nurtures the holy community as food nurtures the human body. Christians don't simply learn or study or use Scripture. We assimilate it take it into our lives in such a way that it, get, it gets metabolized into acts of love, cups of cold water, missions into all the world, healing and evangelism and justice in Jesus' name, hands raised in adoration of the Father, feet washed in the company with the Son. God's Word taking root in your life bears fruit in your everyday life with your words and your deeds. Genuine trust in God's Word results in fruit-bearing. You're really hearing when you're doing, we might say. You're really hearing when you're doing. You're really believing the Scriptures when you're living the Scriptures. All kinds of ways we could say this. I want to close, uh, and I want to encourage you to chew on a couple things. So many things we could say to apply this. I want to ask you this question. We, ha- we are invited to ask this question, and it's, it's uncomfortable. Am I, are you really hearing God's word? Not, did you grow up in the church and hear a lot of God talk? Are you really hearing God's word? And we have to evaluate how we relate to the scriptures. Some of us naturally relate to the scriptures as a to-do list. Just something that we check off. We brush our teeth, check. We meet our roommate at Burwell for lunch, check. Go to the gym, check. We watch LeBron highlights, check. We read our, we read our Bibles, check. Some of us also think of the scriptures in like an information download way. If I can just download the right theological content and get knowledgeable and become a theologian on campus and be masterful in apologetics and evangelism, I've arrived. That's how the scriptures, why they're there. So we love to intellectualize the scriptures. And then others of us might have been hurt by other Christians by how they have used the Bible in our own lives. Perhaps you've had somebody in the church use the scriptures to hurt you and alienate you. And so now you're extremely suspicious of the Bible. I, I just, we have to ask, what is our posture when we open the Scriptures? 
What's our posture? I want to invite you to become like a child with the scriptures. Our posture has to be like someone who is hungry and thirsty, admitting that we need guidance and help if we want to follow Jesus in a fallen world. We need someone to speak because we don't have it figured out. We need God's word in our lives like we need food. We need the daily bread of God's word to bear fruit in our everyday life. We need this holistic diet of reading the scriptures alone, engaging in the scriptures in small group settings and community, and feeding on God's word in the local church when it's preached to you. We need a holistic diet, daily bread of the scriptures if we want to follow Jesus. So how do you hear God's word? Actually, are you hearing it? And the second is, are you bearing fruit? Am I really bearing fruit? Our text is inviting us to evaluate not only just how our minds are working when we come to the scriptures, we open the Bible, but what does our life look like? What would your roommates say about your life? What would your girlfriend say about your life? Christians, let me say this to you and ask you this question. What would non-Christians say about your life? This parable is inviting us to take an honest look at our lives. And guys, I want to encourage you to do the hard work of getting brutally honest with yourselves and with your friends. Invite them to speak into your life rather than just to keep things in cruise control. Because in college, guys, you have such a unique opportunity to live in community and follow Jesus in such an honest and raw way. You think community is hard now? It only gets more complicated when you buy a house and you get married and you have a golden doodle in your house. Like, it, it doesn't get easier. And part of that is looking at, the, at a friend in the face and say, hey, I want to be honest with you. I'm struggling with saying I believe certain things about the Christian life and living in another way. I feel hypocritical, and I need you to check me on this. And next time we meet, I actually want you to ask me about it. It's saying, will you actually check in on with me with regularity about this struggle? And, I know, and it's saying, look, I know that it's easy for us to keep chilling and to just go into cruise control, but I need help. I need your help. If I want to grow, and I want to grow and bear fruit in college, and I can't do it in isolation, will you help me? This is what's required. It's coming down from the mountain to fall conference, getting very practical here, and following up with each other, and saying, how can we apply in very practical ways what we learned? Last thing is this. I want to ask this question. How do you... How do you bear fruit, though? Like, how can a person bear fruit and grow in the Christian life? Is it willpower? Is it pulling up your bootstraps? Where does your confidence come from? How do you get wind in your sails to even do this? Because you might just be hearing this and be like, man, I mean, I want to change. I don't know how to change. I know I don't like the way I'm living now, but why would... Where do, where, how do you get wind in your cells to actually grow and change? And how, how does the fruit of the Spirit show up in your life? You have to look to Jesus. You have to look to Jesus. You have, your heart has to be captured by Him. 
you have to see Jesus as beautiful. It's not just the, it's not to find the scriptures alone beautiful. It's to find the central character of the word of God, the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. It's to find him beautiful. So I was ordained in our denomination right before I took this job and I'm jumping through all kinds of hoops for that to happen and the conclusion, sort of the consummation of ordination is your ordination service. And it's, it's almost wedding-like. that You've just worked really hard. It's really cool. And there's this part of an ordination service called the charge. And the charge is when another pastor gives a charge to the person who's getting ordained. And when it came time for this, this guy named William Plott gave me my charge. And William Plott was my pastor in college. He wasn't my RUF campus minister. He was the pastor of the church in which I worshipped. And this is what he told me in the charge. He said, Matt, when you meet with college students for lunch and for coffee and you have them in your home, you're going to be tempted to give them things. He said, Matt, you're going to be tempted to give them your gifts and your personality. You're going to be tempted to give them to-do lists and gimmicks and spiritual strategies or uh, strategies. You're going to be tempted to give them the latest therapeutic kind of fad of self-care. You're going to be tempted to give them all those things. And he stopped and he paused and he said, Matt, you know that only Jesus is going to change their heart. So I want to urge you to give them Jesus and only Jesus. So guys, I, I, wanna, I want you to look at Jesus. Look on Jesus. And if you grew up in the church and you looked at Jesus and he was beautiful to you, but he hasn't been for a long time, look to him again. And the more beautiful you find Jesus, you'll find that fruit will start showing up and spreading all over the place in your life as you abide in Jesus. And it will be beautiful to see. And it will be attractive and winsome. And you'll truly love God and love your neighbor. Let me pray for us.